What is going on, New York Giant fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Make sure to hit the like button, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or video drops. Appreciate you coming back. Also, share this out as well. Five stars on Apple Podcasts. Do all the good stuff. So, the New York Giants actually won a football game. And they have swept the Washington Commanders for the season series. They didn't do it last year. They didn't do it the year prior. But they did it in 2020. So, there's a little history for you guys. Last year we didn't do it because of the tie. But a lot of interesting things to come out of it. Uh, Offensively, nobody saw this coming. I will say that. Nobody saw any of these results being put out. I mean, a lot of people didn't see a Giants win on the map for this game on their bingo card. But a lot of people, you know, didn't see nine sacks in a win either. But there's going to be a lot to get into. The defense played very well. I must say that there was some chunk plays. But, I mean, when you force six turnovers, you know, it's still, uh, it's it's a great thing to actually finish up with a win because if you four, six turnovers and lose, it's more sour on the locker room. And of course, I will discuss at the end, for the people who are pro-tank, the people who are anti-tank, all that good stuff, whether, you know, what's a positive come out of this game, what's a negative to come out of this game, and all that sort of good stuff. So, again... Do all the good stuff. Like, comment, subscribe. Let's get right into the stats. So Tommy DeVito, 18 of 26. Didn't pass that many times, but that's to be expected. 246 yards, three touchdowns, nine sacks taken. Sam Howell, 31 of 45, 255 yards, three interceptions, one touchdown, four sacks taken. Saquon Barkley had negative rushing yards going into the third quarter going actually maybe into the fourth quarter at the end of the third and uh, he ended up with 83 yards on the ground for the Giants no rushing touchdown but 83 yards on 14 carries which averaged out to 5.9 yards per carry which isn't bad moving forward uh, Washington's rushing game Brian Robinson did okay with yards per carry 17 carries 73 yards 4.3 yards per carry Chris Rodriguez had a nice day but also had the fumble um, six carries, 43 yards, um, 7.2 yards per carry. Sam Howell had a rushing touchdown. Of course, that was the play where, you know, everyone got into a fight. The New York receiving game, Darius Slayton, four receptions, 82 yards, one touchdown. His longest was the 40-yard reception from Tommy DeVito. It ended up being a touchdown. Saquon Barkley had two receiving touchdowns this game. Four receptions, 57 yards. Daniel Bellinger followed in with three catches for 38 yards and a big 26-yard reception down the left sideline. And Wondell Robinson, three receptions, 35 yards. As well with Hyatt, Hodgins, and Shepard factoring in. For the Washington receiving game, Logan Thomas and Brian Robinson had the same amount of receiving yards at 58, but Robinson had seven catches, Thomas had five. Terry McLaurin had five catches for 43 yards. Jahan Dotson had the one touchdown uh, on Deontay Banks, three receptions, 23 yards. And Byron Pringle had two catches for 22 yards. Crowder, Colturn, Diami Brown, Curtis Samuel, Chris Rodriguez, and John Bates also got in on the fun. We'll talk about turnovers in just a second. Defensively, 
Bobby Okereke led the Giants with 14 tackles. Second most was Xavier McKinney, who also had a tackle for a loss. Um, sack leaders, Kayvon Thibodeau, two tackles for a loss, two sacks, three quarterback hits, and a pass deflection. Dexter Lawrence, one sack, a tackle for a loss, two passes defended, and a quarterback hit. And Jihad Ward had a sack, two quarterback hits, a sack, and a tackle for a loss. The Giants totaled um, four sacks. Six tackles for a loss, six quarterback hits, and eight pass deflections. Micah McFadden, Xavier McKinney, Thibodeau with two, Dexter Lawrence with one, and Jihad Ward with one in terms of tackles for a loss. And Thibodeau with three quarterback hits, one for Dex, two for Jihad Ward. And, yeah, that's pretty much that. On the Washington defensive side of the ball, Jamin Davis, Cameron Curl, and Percy Butler all had seven tackles for the lead. David Mayo actually had a pretty good game. Former Giant revenge game. Two sacks, three TFLs, and two quarterback hits. Also, Jamin Davis had two TFLs, a quarterback hit, and a sack. Um, Jonathan Allen had a pretty good game. One and a half sacks, two tackles for a loss, two quarterback hits. K.J. Henry, I believe he's the rookie out of Clemson. One and a half sacks, a tackle for a loss, two pass deflections, two quarterback hits. Two QB hits, a tackle for a loss, and a sack for Deron Payne. Benjamin St. Juiced had a sack, a tackle for a loss, and a quarterback hit. Same can be applied for Casey Tuhill. Kendall Fuller had a tackle for a loss, and I think that's about it for anyone who sticks out. They had 11 QB hits, 9 sacks, and 12 tackles for a loss. The quarterback hits, 1 for Jamin Davis, 2 for David Mayo, 2 for KJ Henry, Deron Payne, and Jonathan Allen, 1 for Benjamin St. Juiced, 1 for Casey Tuhill. And then the team stats, we'll get into that as well. The Washington Commanders had 28 first downs, Giants 13. Commanders 12 passing first downs, Giants had 10. The Giants had three rushing first downs, 13 for the Commanders. They had three first downs from penalties, the Giants had none. The Giants were 5 for 14 on third, the Commanders were 5 of 13. Fourth down efficiency, the Giants were 0 for 1, and... The Commanders were 1 for 1. Total plays, Giants 54, Washington 77. Total yards, Giants at 292 and 403 for the Commanders. Total drives, 14 for the Commanders, 12 for the Giants. 5.4 yards per play for the Giants, 5.2 per, uh, for the Commanders. And then red zone, Giants were 1 for 2. Commanders were 2 for 3. Penalties, Giants had 5 penalties for 33 yards. Washington had... One penalty for five yards. They had six turnovers. Six, uh, six fumbles lost. Jesus Christ, imagine what type of game that would have been. Three fumbles lost, three interceptions, and the Giants had one defensive touchdown. Time possession, Washington at 34-51, Giants at 25-09. Um, so let's start with the offense. And Tommy DeVito, there's still a lot to clean up, but I'm actually very impressed with the way he played against the commanders now the negative off the bat is nine sacks now of course that's not all on him because i feel like the offensive line is still makeshift they still have a couple of kinks i feel like justin Pugh had a bad game and some of the other guys too but you know the film will obviously tell us in depth who had a good game who had a bad game so on and so forth but devito stood tall in there and i'll give mike kafka credit he called a very very good game devito let it ring a couple times um, him and Saquon Barkley seem to have this really good connection, 
in terms of, you know, Barkley getting the football. And I'm not talking in the rushing game. I'm talking in the passing game. Where Barkley had two touchdowns. One was on, uh, I think it was a mesh concept, uh, where Barkley leaked out of the backfield. And then the other one was a wheel route down the sideline, both where Saquon Barkley is a very diverse threat. And, you know, you love to see that because I think for the last few years we've been clamoring for Barkley to be properly properly utilized by the offensive coaching staffs, and it just hasn't really come to fruition a ton. And they sprinkle it here and there. And, you know, Barkley's not an elite route runner, but once he gets in space, he's got speed, and he will make you get on your ass, and he will break a tackle or two. And then, you know, sometimes linebackers will not see him and he'll be just wide open in coverage. That's kind of what happened down the right sideline when DeVito hit him for a touchdown. So I love this utilization of Saquon Barkley in the passing game. Now, of course, New England is probably going to read up on that. Um, And Saquon also proving, you know, in a contract year, hey, listen, I'm not just a rusher. I'm a receiver, too. And I think he kind of said that on the Money Matters podcast before the season even started. So he's kind of proven his case a little bit. And, of course, offenses are, well, I should say the Giants offenses are a little bit more respected when Saquon Barkley's on the field rather than when he's not on the field. And, you know, they're just keen in on a bunch of different things. Um, But DeVito, he was slinging it. He was slinging it. Obviously, there was a couple bad throws where he threw behind receiver or something like that. But, um, you know, he was slinging it and... I don't know personally me if that gives Dable any thought to like, okay, Tyrod's coming back, but does this locker room stick behind DeVito? I think personally they'll stick behind Tyrod Taylor because he's an accomplished veteran and DeVito will likely be here next year in a backup sort of function, at least in training camp or in the mini camp period of time. But I mean, you can't ignore DeVito's performance. Again, New England, we'll see what happens because Bill Belichick has a really good record against these rookie quarterbacks. But DeVito had a day. And also, Darius Slayton had a pretty good day as well on the receiving end. And, you know, he's been the most targeted receiver. And I think he might be ending up and trending towards being the lead receiver. We'll see what happens when Darren Waller comes back. But with that on the table, Slayton is trending to be the leading receiver, and he's been the most trustworthy in the eyes of Tommy DeVito. Um, You know, he connected to him a lot in the Dallas game. Not much against the Jets, obviously. Against the Raiders, it was here and there and around the square. But Darius Slayton, another guy who's on a contract here, trying to prove it, and, you know, he's, you know, got this bond, again, with Tommy DeVito, like Saquon Barkley, and again, you know, I know DeVito's obviously not a future quarterback, and there's a lot of things to evaluate with his team, but other than the nine sacks and, you know, four or five of them on Tommy DeVito, you have to admit, you know, he is in a situation in succeeding, or at least based on this game, to where other quarterbacks really can't succeed in these situations. You know, you usually get the excuses of, you know, oh, the old line sucks or the receiving core sucks. DeVito took the Giants on his back, and to be fair, the defense did a lot of work. They did. Six turnovers is a lot. But, you know, DeVito could have crapped out in a lot of those situations that were given to the Giants offense. He could have said, no, nah, I'm going to throw interceptions. I'm going to throw for low yardage. I think this is his first game over 200 yards. So, shout-outs to Tommy DeVito, man, uh, for making Jersey look relevant. Um, but the O-line giving up nine sacks is still an issue. Again, four or five of those on Tommy DeVito. The other half of those... 
you know, um, not, not great. Again, I would like to see who's really, you know, the culprits behind those sacks. But again, that, that will be really told on the film. And to be honest with you, that's pretty much all I have on the offense. Um, mainly because it's not really that sustainable because you will be facing some better defenses, you know, come in the next few weeks. And also Tommy DeVito is probably not going to start coming out of the bye. I would probably guess that Tyrod Taylor does start against the Packers because they, you know, would probably rally behind him and say, hey, you know, it gives us the best chance to win. And defenses kind of, I don't know, they kind of fear Tyrod Taylor a little bit more because he takes deep shots, right? I'm not saying DeVito didn't, but, uh, you know, he's thrown how many deep balls to Hyatt. You know, when Darren Waller comes back, maybe it's the Packers game or the game after that, you know, he's going to be a threat downfield. So, um, you know, I think definitely Tommy DeVito is going to ride out this little streak. And then Tyrod will come back and then we'll, ha we'll have that to evaluate. But, you know, would it surprise me 100% if they stick with DeVito? No, because he's going to be here next year in a mini camp, uh, training camp setting where Tyrod probably is not because that would be like a four QB situation. You think about it, Daniel Jones coming back from the ACL, a rookie quarterback. Tommy DeVito and Tyrod Taylor. I mean, it would be nice to keep Taylor in the building. Like, I wouldn't mind it, but they might, you know, want a cheap backup. And if they think DeVito does the job, they think DeVito does the job. But very good game plan by the Giants. I know some of it didn't work out. Um, but, you know, Mike Kafka, we've killed him a lot. And, you know, he's going he's gonna to look to show the Giants coaching staff as well as the fan base, hey, listen, I'm still a good play caller, you know, under the circumstances. So... Before we head to the defense, because there's more to talk about there, I want to talk about SeatGeek. And if you guys are going to any games, any concerts, any tailgates that need parking passes, SeatGeek is your one-stop shop. Go to SeatGeek, $20 off your entire order with the promo code Big Blue in the Bronx. Big Blue in the Bronx, nothing abbreviated. The name of the podcast, the name of the channel. Let's talk about the defense. Six turnovers, but we're not getting there yet. I want to talk about sustained success in some ways. And the players that are coming back next year, they're making impacts. And positive impacts. And, you know, you could say it's just Washington, but it's still a sign for next year that if you get some more pieces on this defense, they're going to be an even better squad. This is why you shouldn't fire Wink Martindale. I know there was that report by Tony Pauline and we did a video on it. But this is why you don't fire Wink Martindale. Because, you know, Sam Howell was throwing 300-yard games three in a row. And they were one and two. And the defense obviously hasn't been good. Uh, as you show, you know, giving up how many yards to Tommy DeVito. But the defense was really the main reason why they lost the last three games. And going to this game, you're thinking, ah, you know, Sam Howell might have a day. Terry McLaurin might have a day. No, the Giants defense put the entire Washington offense in jail. Like, they jailed the shit out of them. It's not even funny. You know, Sam Howell, I was expecting, again, the improvement. But let's start with the pass rush up front and the front seven. Dexter Lawrence is one guy that's, for the most part, I'd say about 90% consistently answered the bell. Against Dallas, the first time, didn't see him a ton. Second time, I did see him. I thought there were a couple of misholding penalties. I wish he would have gotten in the backfield a little bit more. 
against the Dolphins, he didn't do a ton. But there are games most of the time where you see, okay, he's getting in the backfield via double teams or this and the other thing. And if the Giants had a winning record, he probably would be considered for Defensive Player of the Year. And now the NFL casual would be like, hey, you know, he's only got four sacks on the season, but he dominates interior offensive lines. I expect him to dominate against the Patriots. I don't think they're any stand-up offensive line. Against the Packers. He knows the Packers from last year. Uh, the Saints. I think that's one he could dominate against. The Eagles is going to be a test. The Eagles is going to be a test. I would expect at least one time for him to at least try to get in the backfield. Now, of course, that's going up against Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, and Cam Jurgens. Very good offensive lineman. But he needs to find a way against the Eagles and the Cowboys to get consistently in the backfield like he does against Washington. Giants need to be a little tougher up front in those situations. But as for this game, Dexter Lawrence, he absolutely dominated it. Dominated. He dominated Nick Gates into a benching. I don't think Tyler Larson will be benched, but he dominated. Absolutely dominated Tyler Larson in that front. Chris Paul, too, the second-year man out of Tulsa, he dominated. So, Dexter Lawrence gets as many hats off. And this is without the presence of Leonard Williams too he's got Ashawn Robinson playing next to him Rakeem Nunez-Roches some of these other cats I wish they would play Jordan Riley but I guess they see him as not ready yet these are the games he should be playing in against weaker offensive lines to try to dominate a little bit more but Dexter Lawrence man he has he has you know the elite tools to be one of the best interior defensive linemen in the league I think he's above Quinn and Williams um, I don't know if I'd put him over Aaron Donald. Chris Jones. Jones can play different spots. Dexter Lawrence can only play on the inside. Like Dexter Lawrence probably cannot play the edge. They tried that in the Graham scheme. Didn't work. So I would say, you know, I know PFF ranks Dexter Lawrence at one. But he is up there with, um, you know, Chris Jones and Aaron Donald. And he's just a force to be reckoned with. He is a force to be reckoned with. And when the Giants get another defensive lineman to stack next to him, <clears throat> that's going to be really fun to see. It's going to be really fun. And they've also factored in Jihad Ward in the interior a little bit just to have a decoy. The next guy I want to talk about is Kayvon Thibodeau. He answered the bell for the criticism ever since that Jet game. Ever since before that Jet game, really. Maybe actually, no, it was before the Washington game where Tierney and uh, Lakata went off. And he had, you know, an, an X amount of sacks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, three sacks against the Jets. Stayed quiet for a little bit. And against the Commanders, he totally rocked. He is now in the double-digit sack category for Wink Martindale defenses, something that's never been accomplished. The most that was accomplished in a Wink scheme was 2019 Matt Judon, which was two years before he left for New England, and then Judon broke off. So Tibbs gets a lot of credit, and he's streaky, but I admire the streakiness to a sense because it's always in, like, these situations. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if he actually didn't go off against the commanders, if he didn't go off against these bad offensive lines, but he's got that growth part of his game, and he showed up really good against the run, too. You know, making some tackles for loss and doing all these different things. And also, Next Gen Stats has some pretty good um, statistics here. So he matched up against Charles Leno, and he actually had a, a little cocky statement to him. He said, you know, thank you. 
and Charles Leno goes, thank you for what? He goes, the 10 sacks I'm about to get. And he did that. 35 matchups, side-by-side, side, 8 pressures. That's a pressure rate of 22.9. Quick pressures, 5. I guess that's off the jump. And 2 sacks. I mean, that's that's an elite stat line. And also, 5 of those 8 pressures, being the 5 quick pressures, came in under 2.5 seconds. So it was right off the jump, making Sam Howell fear for his friggin' life. And again, outside of the sacks, outside the run defense... Those guys made it so Sam Howell would throw, like, the stupid passes. The one downfield to McLeod, I would argue that's more of a deep shot. The one to Holmes, definitely defensive line impacted. The one to Isaiah Simmons, defensive line impacted. So, again, have to give creds to Kayvon Thibodeau in that situation. And also, speaking of pressure, Wink only blitzed 12 times against the Commanders, which is... Probably a season low to a standard, speaking of like defensive snaps and whatnot. But I guess he didn't have to with Dex and Tibbs applying pressure. Howell was 0 for 5 with one interception on 20 plus yard attempts. I mean, that's 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 great. That's great for the Giants defense. Um, so one more player I want to talk about before we get to the turnovers in terms of like, you know, the picks and stuff like that is Bobby Okereke. Now, McFadden had an interesting game. He had some flash plays, but he also had three missed tackles. The Giants' defense had 16 missed tackles, which isn't great, so that's like a negative side of things. But Bobby Okereke, man, just the way this dude is playing, I don't understand how a lot of people are not like saying, hey, you know, you guys recognizing Bobby Okereke's play? I mean, he's forced the most fumbles in the NFL at four. He's got a career year right now. Like, let's just say that right now. He got the interception. Um, multiple tip passes that have caused interceptions. Pinnock, McFadden, uh, both against AFC East teams. But four for forced fumbles and two in this game alone. I think he forced a fumble on Crowder. And then he forced a fumble on, I think it was Chris Rodriguez. So, this guy, I think... You know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, I think he's been a little bit more impactful than you would say the first year of Blake Martinez. And Blake Martinez was very, very good in the Graham system. You know, the first year, he was making tackles left and right. We're like, oh my God, this guy's got to get a Pro Bowl. But Okereke, it just seems like he's a little bit more sustainable with a good linebacker too next to him. Now, McFadden, again, had a mixed match game with the missed tackles and some of the other things. But, you know, consistent linebacker two play helps him out. And then Isaiah Simmons... I've kind of respected the fact that he's not playing a ton. But on third down, he's been an absolute machine. He made a very nice tackle when they were trying to get chunk yardage on like a third and forever. And then he just turns around, catches that pick, and then runs the other way. That's his second pick six of his career. So I have to get, give all the credits in the world to this linebacking core. And it's not Drew Wilkins. It's the guy with the 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 last name I can't pronounce so we're gonna pull that name up and he's not a known um you know linebackers coach like oh this guy's gotta get a DC job I think it's John Igoru I'm gonna take a look at the name pronunciation right now inside linebacker coach John Igoru okay I'm probably butchering that just a tad but he's 37 he's gotta get his credit man he's gotta get it get his credit and you know he was coaching some pretty interesting teams beforehand. He was at Vanderbilt and Buffalo. And then before that, 
with the Ravens, which is obviously how the win connection came apart. But got to give credit to him, man. After seeing so many, so many bad fucking linebacking cores for the New York Giants, it seems like they have a core that's sustainable. Maybe you add another, but we don't have to worry about, oh, we got to go get a, another linebacker now. I mean, if you want to, you can. That's luxury, though. Um, Darian Beavers, obviously, his Giants career doesn't seem like much of anything at this point, but... I mean, it. it is what it is. It is what it is in a good way, too. And I want to talk about the other guys as well. Um, Nick McLeod. Honestly, I think he's got a future spot on this team. He might have it over Trey Hawkins. And Trey Hawkins, you know, there was some expectations coming into training camp. Exceeds those, exceeds those expectations by a lot. Struggles and is continuing to struggle. And as far as that goes, six-round pick. Even though we had high expectations to begin with, he struggled massively. So you might want to lament your expectations a little lower and say, hey, you know, he's a backup in this league. Or maybe you just got to leave him in another year and see what's what. But I think McLeod could play corner too. Or at least be a very good reserve bench player. You know, it sucks that Aaron Robinson is still feeling, you know, not great from his injury last year. Cordell Flott has looked good in the slot. Obviously, you know, the whole fight happened, which... That was his own situation, but it gave Darnay Holmes an interception. But Nick McLeod has played really, really well this season. I'm going to take a look and see if he's got some good stats on the pro football reference page, if I can get those up. So I don't know if they counted the last game. Let's see. We've played 11 games. Okay. He's allowed a passer rating of 20.3, a completion percentage of 45.5 on 11 targets. And his snap share is 23% right now on the Giants defense. I would up that. I would up that. You know, Dory Jackson, he'll probably come back next week against the Pats. I would factor in McLeod. Honestly, like, have him play safety a little bit. Have him play corner a little bit. He's a versatile piece. Keep him. And you know what? Again, you know, him, Banks, all these different guys, Hawkins a little bit. Um... All that credit goes, well, actually, I can't say all, but the players, too. Jerome Henderson, man, he's got to get a job at some point. Not that I want it to happen because I want him to stay with the Giants, but over the years, he's turned these nothing corners into at least solid, solid veteran role players. Like, Isaac Yadam was decent. Uh, Jaron Williams was decent when Adoree Jackson was out. Um, you know, last year, Fabian Moreau. This year, Nick McLeod. I mean, you have to admire how these guys are developing under him. And Cordell Flott, too. Like, last year, for a little bit, Flott was unplayable. Then he got in the slot on the outside, and he was making plays. And he's continued that this year. In zone coverage, he's not very good. But in man coverage, he is. And he's made some very nice clutch plays, too. So you got to give credit when credit's due. And Darnay Holmes, uh, he had the interception. So I have to credit him, even though I'm not his biggest fan. But, I mean, this defense just, you know... This is the side of the defense you want to see. And with, you know, me, yes, rooting for the tank, which I'll get into in a whole separate subject, against the Packers, against the Saints, against the Patriots, these are teams that you should play well against, that you should be competing with defensively. The offensive lines are terrible for those teams. The quarterbacks are not great. Derek Carr is the best quarterback you'll see. I think he's still out no I think he's playing whether he's out or not doesn't make a difference to me because that offense is still poor though Chris Olave is there and he's still making plays but this defense man 
Um, you know, a lot of people came into this game saying you're not going to have a lot of uh, defensive pieces next year. I think that's a lot of bullshit, to be personally honest with you. Flott, Banks, McLeod, uh, Okereke, McFadden, Simmons, Lawrence, Tibbs. You know what? I'll say something else, too. This is a negative, but it doesn't really overshow, overshade the positive. Aziz Ojolari was very much absent. He was very much absent. Now, of course, that could be due to Boogie Basham and um, Jihad Ward playing a little bit more. But he was non-existent on most of his snaps. Let's look at his snap share for the game. Let's see if Pro Football Reference has it up. Um, yeah, his snap share... I guess they don't have it up. So I'm going to take a look at Dan Duggan's page. But he was... He was not noticeable, which is a bad thing to say. Ojolari, 60%. You got to be a little bit more impactful at 60%. But that's what I got to say about the defense. Uh, we could get into snap counts, that is. Um, we'll start with the defense. Why not? Jay Pinnock, I think that was a terrible dropped interception, obviously. But I think he's had a quietly good year. He's another one that's being coached up by Jerome Henderson and He's played really well. Let's take a look. Jason Pinnock, right? He's played 11 games this year. Um, 72.9 passer rating, one touchdown, a lot of 53.6 completion percentage, and an interception. So the interception and the touchdown kind of even out with each other. I mean, he's played well. Keep him. Keep him. Start him at safety next year. Uh, I'm down for that, you know? I know there was obviously that concern coming in. Oh, is this play going to be sustainable? Oh, is he going to be good? Is he going to be bad? Is he going to be better than Julian Love? I, I'm taking Jason Pinnock as a part of my future. Thank you, Jets. So anyway, um, Jay Pin, Banks, McKinney, O'Karake, 100%. 89% for Tibbs. 79% for Dex. 53% for Jihad Ward. 55, uh, 65% for Trey Hawkins, 62% for Micah McFadden, 60% for Ojolari, 46% for Holmes, mainly because of the Cordell Flott ejection, 38% for Isaiah Simmons, Sean Robinson at 37%. Uh, moving down from there, 35% for Nick McLeod, and that low snap share for Robinson kind of tells you that they're factoring Jihad Ward in as more of a defensive interior. It's kind of set off a decoy a little bit. Um 35% for McLeod and Nunez Roches, 28% for Dane Belton, 22% for Cordell Flott, 16% for Davidson, and uh, Boogie Basham at 15%. Offensively, Bredesen, DeVito, Phillips, Pugh, and Schmitz, and Andrew Thomas played 100%. 93% for Daniel Bellinger. Obviously, he's a top tight end, but you know you love that as a, as a guy who's the quarterback's best friend and a tight end. But we, I would like to see him targeted more, but nonetheless... Uh, speaking of the real quarterback's best friend, we got Saquon Barkley at 91%. Wandale Robinson at 67%. I think he's been on a quiet tear. Like, that block was really good in the running game. Um, and he's like, again, that security blanket that nobody knows about. And, you know, he broke off a really nice play. It was 21 yards. So, give credit to him. Uh, moving down, Jalen Hyatt at 53%. Darius Slayton, 51%. 47% for Shep. 44% for Hodgins, 20% for Campbell, 13% for Cager, Brita, and Tyree Jackson at 11%. So, let's talk about this thing. By the way, the Giants have released Deion Jackson and Josh Isles, which should tell you that Matt Parrott is expected to be back, and maybe one of Gary Brightwell and uh, Eric Gray. So, 
I'll say this about the whole tanking thing. I know there's some people on Twitter and social media that are happy with the win. They're not happy with the win. There's two extremes. Here's how I'm going to say it. And before I get into positives and negatives, I'm happy they won in the sense that they were competitive, that there's some good to take out of it in a long-term sense. Like, if Dable was not coming back next year, I'd say, who gives a shit about these players? They should be losing every game. But um, Tibbs making some really good plays. Dex making good plays. Saquon being good. Um, you know, Darius Slayton, you know, whether he's going to be here or not next year, played well. That's progress. Uh, Bobby Karake playing at a Pro Bowl level, in my opinion at least. Deontay Banks playing solid. He gave up two receptions for 15 yards and a touchdown. Uh, can't argue against that. Nick McLeod playing really well. So some future pieces playing really well. That's what you want to see. Build the culture uh, again because you're going to see some new faces in here next year with the vets leaving. You want to see that. And then um, the negative side, or at least the negative side of me says, you know, the offensive play, as much as DeVito played well against the Washington Commanders team that may have shut him down, he played well against a very bad defense. So I don't think the way of calling plays and the way Kafka's been this season, I don't think that's sustainable per se. Because New England has a tough defense. We'll see what he does against the Packers if he even plays. Like, Tyrod probably is coming back for that game. Same with Darren Waller. But I was still, personally me, again, you could disagree in the comments section. I would like the Giants to not win against the Pats. Of course, it would be bracking rights. But the Giants are at five right now with the Bears, Cardinals, Pats, and Bears again under them. And just being one of the top spots, kind of like, it gives you the option of trading back a little bit more because this is obviously a quarterback-heavy draft. You know, you got your Penix, you got your Bo Nix, you got your Jaden Daniels, you got the top two in May, and Caleb Williams. But if you get like one or two, I don't think the Giants are getting one at this point, so throw that off the table. Um, the Bears, I think, if they get one, they're taking Caleb Williams. I don't really see Justin Fields playing out there. Um, but with that on the table, two is still in play, three, four, and five. Drake May could fit this system. Uh, a lot of people are seeing it. Um, but you still got that option. Like, if you go to two, right? If you go to two, you could maybe, maybe trade out with somebody who wants, you know, Drake May. Maybe you don't like him as much, right? That's the stuff we don't know in the building. And I'm never, oh, I'm not the GM, I'm not the coach guy. I never use that excuse. But you could trade out with somebody, get a haul, get a quarterback, get some offensive linemen, another wide receiver, or another wide receiver, or another defensive end, and you still got two second round picks. So you got four picks in the top 100 that are expected to be impactful in this prolonged rebuild per se. But if you get up to number one, you could trade with the Bears if you don't like Caleb Williams that much and say, "Hey, we want your two overall, your five overall." If it gets to that. And maybe a first for next year or an extra second rounder. Then you're then you're fucking cooking. Then you're cooking. But positives, Saquon playing very well. Key defensive players playing for the team. Kayvon, Dex, and O'Karake. And I want to get to something that's a positive, but I'm going to leave it off until I get to the negatives. Losing out on Drake May or Caleb Williams. Offensive play not sustainable. The one thing I will say is this. One thing Brian Dable needed to do and he's going to need to do with the rest of the stretch, is play competitive. Whether you're losing or winning, you need to keep this team in games. 
You don't want the locker room to start fracturing and guys who you know are going to be here next year start turning on you because that's not that's not what you want, right? Um, Xavier McKinney, obviously, that's a whole different thing, but he seemed very happy. He played very well against the Commanders. But, you know, the Giants, if they lost out, you'd rather it be competitive losses, and I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but you didn't want Dable to lose his job. And honestly... As much as it beats me to see the Giants win when they could get a top QB, and they could still get Michael Penix and some of these other guys. There's a lot of QBs. I personally like Michael Penix. Aside from, you know, the top two guys, I got to watch a little bit more of Drake May. But I would rather these type of wins here and there and around the square than just a flat-out sheet of uncompetitive losses and boom, we don't know if Dable's coming back next year. And maybe he gets fired because Mara's antsy, which I don't think he would do. But we also haven't gotten there yet. So that's my thoughts on that, guys. Like, comment, subscribe, do all the good stuff. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or drops. Appreciate all coming back. Check out some of our live streams, some of our content. And uh, we will see you guys soon. Peace.